can't change what happened in the past or else we would all be destined for hell and never have a shot at heaven. As we continue to walk out our, our, our relationship with Jesus and we continue to minister to this world, we're going to get opposition. We've got to have that persevering love. Guess what God desires? He desires you. He desires you. You need to have that serving love, that persevering love, never to give up even in spite of opposition, that guarding love. You need to guard against people trying to take away time between you and Jesus. In today's sermon, Herman Mason, son of senior pastor Eddie Mason, discusses our covenant with Jesus Christ, including the concept of creating a covenant home and developing different types of love within that relationship. I want to talk to you today about our covenant with Jesus. We're celebrating marriages, but I want to, I want to preempt this or, or preface this by saying, if you're not married, uh, even if you don't think you're ever going to get married again, stick with me. I'm going somewhere with this, okay? I promise you this message is not just for married couples, all right? Uh, our covenant with Jesus, but I am going to start with married couples, and I do realize that there are relationships that have just not worked out. And I, I don't believe that any person that got married had plans for divorce, but it happens. And I understand that. So please understand that, that nothing I'm saying is meant to insult you or to hurt you if you've un, gone through that unfortunate circumstance, but you never know. Love could be right around the corner and you might be looking to get married again. Even if you don't realize it today, I'll tell you like I told my kids as they were growing up, that switch can flip just that quick. I know because it flipped for me back in college. I had plans to get married, but not anytime soon. I was definitely going to wait until after uh, college, but then Tammy came along, and that spark lit, and we got married after my junior year of college. And so you never know. You may have no plans of ever getting remarried. But I ask you just to go with me on this journey because it does, it does talk about marriage, but it also is going to talk about us uh, in general. Okay, so stick with me. Uh, first of all, I want to talk to you about what is a marriage? What is a marriage? You know, by definition, a marriage is it, it's a legal binding. It's a formal recognition, a union of people or partners in a personal relationship. And now as Christians, we believe that partnership is between a man and a woman. And we do realize that our world is starting to accept other relationships. But marriage in general is that between two parties, okay? It's a covenant. That's a very key word to God and to the Bible and to us as Christians. So, so what's a covenant? You know, a covenant is formal. It's not something you should take lightly. It's something that's solemn. It's, it's a binding agreement. There's some biblical examples that I can give you, and you probably know them. Abraham made a covenant. God made a covenant with him, rather, to be the father of many nations. He made a covenant with Moses. He said he'd make a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And he made a covenant with David that his offspring would be established forever, and that the throne, the throne, would be built up from one generation to the next. Ephesians 5 is the scripture. Uh, let me just, I'll just go to the handheld. Just, just turn that off and we'll, let me just go to the handheld. You got me? This is still on. 
This is the one that says pastor. Yeah. Is it green? Let's try it. Listen, there's more than one power source, not as a Christian, but... Amen. Let's try this. And you can turn, yeah, just turn the whole overall volume down just a little bit. Y'all bear with me just a second. We'll get this right. Amen. I agree. So when I come to you and tell you when we need a microphone, you won't fight with me, right? <laughs> Y'all heard it. I got approval already. Of course, she didn't tell me how much I could spend on it. Okay. Now, let me just tell you, I have battled with this message for over a week. Tammy and I have been fighting off and on, and she'll tell you that we have both come to the conclusion that this is an important message for many reasons. Uh, but I want to tell you that I just feel like Satan is really just messing with me and messing with my, my relationship, trying to keep me to, from presenting this message to you. Ephesians 5 is nothing new, especially if you're a member of this church. As a matter of fact, a few weeks ago, Grand Am even uh, felt like God put that on his heart, and he started talking about that. And so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but it is the basis for marriage. And we'll start with you wives, you wonderful, wonderful wives. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, wives be subject to your own husbands. And we husbands read that, and we love that part. <laughs> yes, be subject to us. As to the Lord... For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And i got to be honest with you, I don't know that portion of the relationship, but I do know that as a, as a son and as, um, you know, just as a worker, you enter the workforce, and a lot of times we start on the bottom rung, Right? And so we have opinions and we have ideas and we have thoughts, but those aren't always heard because that's not our position or our place at that point in time. Now, what God does is the next part where he trains the husband up to be the correct head, but we as husbands don't always view this scripture the proper way. And so, unfortunately, wives, sometimes it starts out as almost being servant-like. But I tell you what, I read examples in the Bible uh, of many wives that were that were subject or servants to their husband and, and, and did obey even though their husbands were being stupid and crazy. And the one that comes to mind, and I've said this several times to dad recently, is Sarah and Abraham. And if you go back and read that, not once but multiple times they'll go into a city and Abraham tells Sarah, hey, just pretend you're my sister. <laughs> this is his wife, the love of his life. And he's telling her, you, be, you just pretend to be my sister. And I don't read anywhere where Sarah got all offended and upset. Now, she may have been, I don't know, but that's not the way the story reads. The story reads that she did that. Chances are pretty good she thought he was a moron for doing that. <laughs> but nonetheless, she went along with it. And guess what? God always provided. And so I know that Tammy a lot of times has had to put up with my macho pig-headedness as a man, but it's interesting, nothing she ever says changes my opinion. So what she does is, she goes to prayer, and even down the road, I'll be riding down the road, and all of a sudden, God will just hit me upside the head. And Sometimes it's pretty plain as day, Herman, you're being a moron. And I'll have to pull the truck over and just this flood of emotions comes and I have to apologize and I have to repent and I work on it and I try to do better in the future. 
So I understand that that may not be easy, especially in America. I mean, there's a lot going forward for women right now. Everything I see and read and hear is about women and empowering women. And I'm not saying that women shouldn't be empowered. I'm not saying that women shouldn't be viewed as strong and capable of anything. I'm saying that as a Christian woman, sometimes, unfortunately, you got to be a servant and let God be God and trust that he will correct the situation every time. You see, Sarah submitted to Abraham and told people that she was a sister, and it never failed. When they went to the land, she was so gorgeous that the kings always said, I'm going to make her mine. And then God would undoubtedly visit that king and explain to him in no uncertain terms that if he were to touch her, then he would be no more. And it must have been very clear because immediately in the next scriptures, you see the king just giving Abraham what for. And basically saying, what is wrong with you? Why would you trick me and lie to me about this? You got this woman up here of God. You're about to get me killed. I tell you what, you take her, you take this, this, and this, your land, your gold, and you just, just move on. Just get out of my sight. Because God visited, God took care of the woman. Now husbands... I promise you, it's a lot easier if you will do it God's way first rather than have him get a hold of you. So the next few scriptures are for you and me, I guess. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. You see, there's a part of that, that that tells me that without us doing our part as husbands, the wife can never achieve that holy and blameless state. And unfortunately, it's not her fault. There's nothing she can do about it. It's up to us to do what we're supposed to do as men. See, I contend that one of the reasons women are having to step up in positions of leadership and power is because men are not doing it. And when we do it, we're not doing it the proper way, the God-ordered way. And again, that's not taking anything away from women. Even in the Bible, women did, they held the highest power. So again, my message is not about what women should do. It's more to free you up and say you shouldn't have to feel like you have to step in in a position uh, that God may or may not have called you to. But a lot of times women do. A lot of times women do jobs that the men are supposed to do because we have not stepped up and done what God intended for us to do. There's another part. It must have been really, God must have known that we we're a little thick-headed. So we added a little bit more for husbands. The last few scriptures are for us as well. So husbands, notice the wives part was this, about, about, about this much. And God must know he was going to have to explain it over and over again to us men. We get a little bit hard-headed. So husbands ought also to love their own wives. He's already said that, so he must be saying, attention, attention. <laughs> I know I already said it once, but I know I'm going to have to say it again. Love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, 
and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. And I want to go back to the wives just for a minute. I want to reemphasize that just because your husband's not acting right doesn't give you an excuse. See, we're each accountable to God for our actions. Adam was, my favorite word today seems to be moron, and I think it fits. Adam was a moron. In that instance where he accepted fruit, he knew he was not supposed to eat. And we like to blame Eve, and yes, she tempted Adam. But Adam's responsible for Adam. Eve was responsible for Eve. You know? So, again, wives, just because your husbands are not doing what they're supposed to do, I'm telling you, the way my wife does it works. It, it, it fits. It's prayer. doesn't mean it's always easy. doesn't mean I don't deserve to get my rear end kicked. But I promise you, God handles it. Promise. Guaranteed. And when God handles it, and I hope Tammy would tell you that for the most part, I learned my lesson and I improve. I do learn from Tammy and I do listen, but I'm a lot more hard-headed when it comes to listening to her than when God gets a hold of me. It would be easier if I would take her advice and listen and correct it, then I wouldn't have to go through so much heartache sometimes. So I assume I'm not wrong in saying you've heard these scriptures before. You've seen them before. Let me talk to you about a couple of declarations I'd like to ask you to pray about making today before you leave. And I'm going to ask you to stand up, and I'm going to ask you to possibly sign one of these. That's what I brought the pieces of paper up for. The first one I want you to consider as I continue the message is, by signing this covenant, I promise to initiate a forgiving love when I've offended you or when conflict arises. Demonstrate serving love by putting your needs above my own. Oop, if you go back, you're a little, you went too quick. <laughs> you're Okay. Exercise persevering love by walking through the most difficult times hand in hand. Establish a guarding love that will safeguard our marriage and let no man, woman, or child divide us. Enjoy a celebrating love that keeps the spark alive in the relationship and celebrates you as my best friend. Experience a renewing love that says I'm committed to you until death do us part. Before I go any further, let me give credit where credit is due. I pulled this from a sermon by Dr. Gary and Barb Rossberg. Okay, so I don't want you to think that that's mine uh, that's theirs. Uh, the second declaration that I want you to con consider actually proclaiming today is that together as husband and wife, we declare our home a divorce-proofed home, a covenant home built on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ, characterized by unconditional love and devoted to our lifelong commitment to each other. In the presence of God and these witnesses, and by a holy covenant, we promise to exhibit these loves toward each other every day. We promise that from this day forward, or for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others as long as we both shall live. Uh, before I go further, let me just go back and reiterate. You're sitting there saying, I'm not married. I don't plan on getting married. I tried it once, whatever the case may be. But I'm telling you, stick with me. I'm going somewhere with this. Even for those of you that are not married, I promise you. So let's break down just a few of these things that are, that are talked about in here, because I don't want you to commit to anything you don't fully understand. Let's talk about those different types of love. First of all, the divorce-proofed home. I'm very leery sometimes to talk about divorce, not because I don't um, hate it, and not because God doesn't hate it, but because I think it gets twisted. Stuff happens. I get it. 
You can't change what happened in the past or else we would all be destined for hell and never have a shot at heaven. See, if Jesus didn't come and die for our sins, what we've done in the past would condemn us to hell. So it doesn't matter if you got divorced. It doesn't matter if it was your fault. It doesn't matter if it was your, your uh, spouse's fault. It doesn't matter if you shared fault. The point is God doesn't like divorce not because he doesn't like the persons. It didn't say in the Bible that God hated divorced people. He hates divorce. Why? Because divorce proofing, um, because divorce creates a separation, a physical and spiritual tearing, a ripping, a severing of a relationship, a holy union, and it hurts. I told my children growing up, I can relate that to the physical acts that we, we were able to enjoy as husband and wife that a lot of Americans and a lot of people around the world like to enjoy before they're married. And I told my boys straight up, it's not because it's not fun and it's not because it's not enjoyable. It's because it creates a bond with that other person, a physical bond and a spiritual bond. So when you rip that, it's not just saying, ah, this didn't work out, no big deal. And again, let me reemphasize, it doesn't matter whose fault it is. It, has, it doesn't matter if, listen, I've got a buddy whose wife cheated on him three times. He stuck it out three times trying to make that relationship work. And he finally divorced her. I don't think God is sitting there going, you did something wrong, young man. But it doesn't matter. There is a ripping, a spiritual ripping that's happening, and he has been in turmoil for the past two years with things from finances to his children. And again, remember, he's in the right, not just in God's eyes, but in the law's eyes. She did the cheating, but yet he is torn up. It, it, it's not a fault thing. That's why God doesn't want divorce. That's also why God wants us to put a lot of time and energy into finding the right mate. And that's why God says things like, don't be unevenly yoked. Because he knows that right there is going to separate most, if not all, marriages. When Tammy and I get to the point where we can't solve an issue between us, we have over the past gone to Christian-led guided counseling. And the reason we do that is we want them to break it down to us based on what the Bible says, not our emotions, not what we're thinking or feeling at the time, but what the Bible says. And there've been times that I've walked away from that and I, was, I had been telling it right and Tammy got a revelation. Most of the time it's been me that's had to have a new revelation. <laughs> Every once in a while it'll be her. Most of the time she's got a little bit of tweaking to do and I've got the majority of the tweaking to do. But I gotta be honest with you, what we did going into our relationship which was told to us through counsel was base your marriage on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the Bible and his word, and you can have a successful marriage. I guess I can say it this way, the probability of you having a, a lifelong commitment and successful marriage, it, it skyrockets. It skyrockets. Why? Because little things like that where you get to a point where you can't solve an argument, you now have somewhere to go that will decide what the, what the solution is. Now, you still have to decide whether or not you're going to abide by it even at that point. And so you have to continue to work at that relationship. It's not just a one and done. A covenant home, that's the same, same idea. It's, it's that bond. A covenant is a binding agreement. We talked about that. A forgiving love. Let me tell you what forgiveness is. 
Rather, let me tell you what forgiveness is not. You hear all the time people say, well, I can forgive, but I can't forget. If you can't forget, you didn't forgive. Now, I don't mean you don't learn to protect and guard against certain situations, but the majority of the time, the reason we're still frustrated and bitter at people is because we've not truly forgiven them. Forgiveness means you give up resentment against the offender. And let me, just, let me just guarantee you, as much as I give Tammy credit, we both do things to offend each other. We've been married 23 years. That's a long time to spend with somebody. And in the beginning, I was real good about doing everything and anything she wanted, whether I liked it, agreed with it or not. Because I was, I was newly in love. But, you know, over time, some of that fades. I don't get the butterflies like I used to get when I first started dating her. Okay. Sometimes I just want to sit down and watch football. Most times she wants to watch with me, so we don't get in too much of a fight about that. But things change. We have to continually work at the relationship. So there are times that I've got to have a forgiving love, and there are times she's got to have that forgiving love. Stick with me again. I told you it's not just about marriages. A serving love. There's no better example in my life of a serving love than my grandfather. My grandfather's goal in any relationship is to outserve the other person. It, it is. And that's the example I've grown up with. And Tammy would like to tell you that I do the same thing. I think she'll probably tell you I'll get there eventually, or she hopes I will. I'm not quite there. I get a little bit selfish. I enjoy being served more than I enjoy serving sometimes. Let me move on. Then Tammy has to use her persevering love. Persevering love says to go on resolutely or stubbornly. I like that. There is room for stubbornness in a relationship. That persistent love, that stubbornness in spite of opposition. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's something we ought to have as Christians in general. As we continue to walk out our, our, our relationship with Jesus and we continue to minister to this world, we're going to get opposition. We've got to have that persevering love, a guarding love. It's okay to be guarded in your relationship. Guarding means, you know, the act or duty of protecting or defending. There are times you need to be protective and defending of your love. And I'm not talking about a fist fight. I'm talking about with the kids. You know, over the years, Tammy and I were reflecting on this the other day. Over the years, we've noticed that it's been a lot harder to connect with one another. And the reason is because we introduced children to the relationship and we raised those children, or still raising them, and it puts a strain on that relationship. And so we need to be more guarded sometimes. We need to remember that our relationship needs just as much attention, if not more, than the attention we're giving our children. Friends, family. God wants you to serve and to give to others, but not in spite of your relationship with your spouse. You need to have a guarded love. You need to have a celebrating love. You need to observe notable occasions such as Valentine's Day. I don't care if it is a commercial holiday. It's one built into the calendar. I'm speaking mostly to the guys because I think we're the worst at it. It's built in. Don't work harder at not having to give something than just going ahead, biting the bullet, and doing something on that day. It's built into the calendar. So if you do it the right way, you're going to get credit that you can use later, but you'll celebrate your love 
or to make up for. Maybe I should say you'll have credit that you make up for stuff you, you should, okay. <laughs> but you need to celebrate that love. Uh, when I was children's minister, I went out to Oklahoma to see the way they were working with the children. It's interesting. I remember a lot of things that went on, but, but the one statement made by their children's director that never left me was, he said, I have a date night with my wife every week. And he really emphasized the importance of keeping that relationship fresh. He celebrated that love. And I thought, man, that, that's good. Now, unfortunately, I, I haven't always kept up with that date night. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes that creates the friction between Tammy and I. Just something simple as the fact that we haven't spent any time together recently. We get busy doing other things. You've got to take time to celebrate. A renewing love. Renew means to make like new. I told you I don't get the butterflies anymore. But I do have some occasions that I remember what it was like the first few moments we spent together. And I get excited again. It's, 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 a, it's to make like new. It's to restore to freshness, vigor, or perfection. It says, I'm committed to you. Th these are the keys of love. Now, I want to reset just a minute. I want to rewind. I told you that I'm talking about our covenant, right, with Jesus Christ, because the marriage needs to be built around Jesus Christ. If your relationship is not built around Jesus Christ, I'm telling you that it's set up for failure. I'm not saying you will fail. I hope you don't fail, but I'm telling you that statistics show chances are pretty good your relationship is not going to make it. And just the opposite is true as well. If you will center your relationship around Jesus, not just on day one, but every day you're together, then your chances of survival and enjoyment throughout that relationship go up exponentially. My grandfather, as my dad likes to say now, his favorite thing is to go up and tell people his daddy's been married four times and he hadn't divorced any of them. <laughs> but if you talk to my grandfather, he'll tell you that each relationship God has made just fresh and new and not that he didn't appreciate and love and respect, uh, I guess each of my grandmothers is the way to say that, over the years. And he went through a time of grieving when they passed and when they died. I mean, it really hurt him. But then God made another love for him. You know, these are the keys that will help you out. But I told you if you'd stick with me, I would bring this full circle. So let's rewind. Let's go to that next slide, Kathy. Instead of talking about our covenant, okay, let's go back through Ephesians again, and let's talk about uh, something else. This time as I go through it, instead of listening to the wives and the husbands part, I want you to listen to something else, see if you pick up on it. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Did you pick up on the other portion of that scripture? It's not talking about husbands and wives alone. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. And then it goes on and says, but as the church is subject to Christ. Uh-oh. Let's go. Let's look at some more here. Let's look at the rest of these verses. Husbands loves your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he, Jesus, might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her, the church, by the washing of water with the word 
that he, Jesus, might present to himself the church in all her glory, having, to, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, the church, would be holy and blameless. And it finishes up, so husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body, the body of Christ. Okay? As we skip on down to 32, the main crux of this passage and what I want to focus on for the rest of my time this morning is, the, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So those of you sitting out there talking about you're not married, you don't know if you ever get married, you are the church. And we are the bride of Christ. So we do have responsibilities as the bride. And so when it talks about the husbands being the head, we're talking about Jesus being the head and us as the church allowing him to be the head. Let's look back through some of those slides again. And this time, as we go through them, instead of thinking of them as husbands and wives, let's think about my covenant with Jesus instead of our covenant with Jesus. What's your covenant with Jesus? Let's look at those keys again to the relationship. We talked about being divorce-proofed. Don't you know Jesus wants his relationship with you to be divorce-proof? In that instance, the severing is not just physical, it's spiritual. And when you sever your relationship with Christ, you end up setting yourself up for the ultimate failure. God wants a covenant home with you. He wants that unbreakable bond. He wants a forgiving love. Actually, he wants us to have a repentant love. You see, Jesus doesn't have anything for us to forgive him for. And so instead of that forgiving love, it needs to be a repentant love. We need to be able to say, I realize I messed up. And I'm going to turn away from that sin. To turn from sin, to dedicate yourself to the amendment of your life. That's, that's repentant love. A serving love. Serving to furnish or supply with something needed or desired. Guess what God desires? He desires you. He desires you. You need to have that serving love, that persevering love, never to give up even in spite of opposition, that guarding love. You need to guard against people trying to take away time between you and Jesus. That relationship should be guarded and protected against husbands, wives, children, friends, and other people. You need to have time that you spend with Jesus Christ to continue to nourish that relationship. That celebrating love. You need to recognize times in your life, that would be to me testimony. Celebrating what God has done for you. Telling other people. A renewing love. There's some of us that need to renew that love for Christ. We need to make it like new. We need to have that refreshing, that vigor. That renewing love brings us to perfection. See, we can never be perfect, but Jesus makes us perfect. When God looks at us through the lens of Jesus Christ, we are now perfect. At the beginning, I asked you to think about two declarations. 
And I want to bring those up to you again as I close. But I switched up just a little bit here. So I want you to listen to this because I'm going to ask you to say this with me, if you will. Not yet. Let me read it to you first so you know what you're committing to. Together with Jesus, I declare my life a divorce-proofed life, a covenant life, a life built on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ, characterized by unconditional love and devoted to a lifelong commitment to you, Jesus. In the presence of God and these witnesses and by a holy covenant, I promise to exhibit this love towards you every day. I promise that from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others. Will you think about that for just a minute? Tammy, can you put on just some background music for me for just a minute? I want you to think about that because I'm also going to ask you and give you an opportunity to make a signature declaration. You know, it's not enough that I say I want to buy a house. In order to actually buy that house, I got to put pen to paper. It's not enough just to say you want that covenant relationship with Jesus. I'm going to ask you to put pen to paper today. And up here, I've got half sheets. And it talks about my covenant with Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to consider signing this. We're going to say this one, and then I'm going to show you what I want you to sign. But then I'm going to leave it up to you. And I want you to consider signing this and taking it with you and putting it up somewhere in your house where you can see it every day. If you're not sure you want to sign this today, because I'm going to tell you something, a covenant is not something that should be entered into lightly. That's why we ask couples to go through counseling, because we want to make sure that they're not blinded by the physical attraction, that they truly understand what they're getting involved in for a lifelong commitment. So this shouldn't be entered into lightly either. And so if you're not 100% sure you want to sign this today, I still want to encourage you, take it with you. Sign it at another time if you'd like. I, I would love for you to sign it today. And even though it is on Facebook Live, I'm not going to go back and look and see who signed it and who didn't. Amen? This is between you and God. All I'm doing is delivering the message, but it's up to you to act on it whether or not God is asking you to do that. So if you'll put that first declaration back up on the screen, if you'll stand with me, let me get everybody to stand up. And those that will, I'm going to ask you to repeat this with me. Together with Jesus, I declare my life, a divorce-proof life, a covenant life, a life built on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ, characterized by unconditional love, and devoted to a lifelong commitment to you, Jesus. In the presence of God and these witnesses, and by a holy covenant, I promise to exhibit this love towards you every day. I promise that from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others. This next slide is what I want you to consider signing. And let me just read it to you here. By signing this covenant, that's what's on this paper, I promise to initiate, you're going to initiate, a repentant love. You're going to demonstrate serving love by putting your needs above my own. Your need stands for Jesus' needs, right? Not your personal needs, God's needs, Jesus' needs. Exercise persevering love by walking through the most difficult times 
hand in hand. Think about that picture right now. You hand in hand with Jesus. Establish a guarding love that will safeguard our marriage. That marriage is between you and Jesus. And let no man, woman, or child divide us. That I'll enjoy a celebrating love that keeps the spark alive in the relationship and celebrates you as my best friend. Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. Please join us every Sunday morning. For service times, locations, and other information about the church, visit us at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless and keep you. May His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you 